Hello, I'm Amber Athey, The Spectator's Washington editor, and I'm here to encourage you to subscribe to The Spectator's American edition. If you visit spectator.us forward slash subscribe, you can get our print and digital edition for just $7.99 a month. This means you get unlimited access to our amazing website and we'll send you a beautiful 80-page monthly magazine. You'll also have access to our mobile app. Subscribe now at spectator.us forward slash subscribe. You won't regret it. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and now the Joe Biden presidency. We will be looking at how a 78-year-old president will change America and we'll be asking if normalcy which is what he promised to bring, has returned to American politics? The answer, of course, is no. I'm delighted to be joined today by the great Thomas Frank, who is a historian, a writer for The Guardian, among other places, and the author of many great books, most recently, The People Know, A Brief History of Anti-Populism, And we're going to be asking, what does it mean or what will happen if the Wuhan lab leak hypothesis turns out to be true? Now, Tom, I'm talking to you about this because you've just written a very, very good piece for The Guardian. And it's really about science and the idea of science and expertise. Yes. And how at the start of the pandemic, sort of official think, for want of a better way of putting it, was that uh, now is the time where people have to realise that they have to trust science yeah, and they have yeah. to believe in science. And then in recent weeks, we've had sort of a growing number of people saying that the theory that the virus, COVID-19, came from a lab is more credible than previously thought. And this has suggested that actually the scientists who dismissed this theory quite uh, vigorously a year ago were wrong. What are the implications of that politically, uh, globally, and so on. <clears throat> well, so I'm not going to go into the the geopolitical implications uh, w- between the West and China because that's what everybody else is talking about. You know me, Freddie. Whatever anybody else is talking about, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I'm strictly about you know cultural history is my thing. Yeah, it's all I think about. You're the Yang to the media Yin. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Anyhow, so uh, it goes back further than just the beginning of the pandemic. There's a sort of a crisis of confidence in institutions in this country and in the UK as well, where Americans, by and large, stopped believing in their leadership class. This is uh, one of the explanations for the rise of Donald Trump. There was a full-blown panic about it here in this country in 2015, 2016. All of these essays and books were written about it. By and large, the term that the media used for this phenomenon was populism. We've talked about this before. It's a, it's a complete misnomer. <laughs> yeah. What they mean by it is uh, the insolence of ordinary people, that ordinary people are rejecting society's elites, and how dare they? And there's a huge literature on this. This was, uh, I mean, every columnist in the Washington Post and the New York Times was, you know, up in arms about this. The problem of populism, our, our failure to 
uh, respect the respectable, uh, you know, to look up to the to our betters, all that stuff. And here comes COVID, you know, uh, three years into the Trump administration. And, and Trump, by the way, seems to be just a disaster for these institutions. Uh, he doesn't respect the CIA, doesn't listen to anyone. Anyhow, this is a very well-trod path, this whole argument about expertise and how the American people need to be taught to respect expertise. And like I say, it's a long-running hobby horse of the American sort of, um, I hate to use this term, but ruling class. Yeah. Okay, the people who write our, because it means something different in England, I know. But in America, I'm thinking of the people who run our institutions, who have advanced degrees, who run the newspapers, who run the TV networks, who run Silicon Valley, who run Wall Street. And these people are enormous believers in technocracy, expertise, and what they call science, by which they do not mean the scientific method. (laughs) (laughs) What they mean is the truth as handed down by people like they themselves. And they, you get yard all through the Trump era. You saw these yard signs. I remember. I've told you about this before, Freddie. I I live in Bethesda, Maryland. It's an affluent suburb of Washington D.C. Everybody has advanced degrees here, or they seem to, anyways. And you see these yard signs all over the place that list all of these left wing causes on them. And uh, one of them is science is real, yeah. which is just another way of saying social authority is real. Yeah, yeah. You know, because science, of course, is not real. This science is a process for getting at the truth. It's not a group of people who hand down, <laughs> you know, the law. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, so all of this was under huge question during the Trump years. Then here comes COVID, and COVID seemed to restore science and truth and expertise and authority to its rightful position. And all of a sudden you had, you know, medical authority figures who were uh, elevated to the supreme position of, you know, determining what we could and couldn't do in response to the pandemic. And we instituted all of these rules. I'm not talking just about the face mask, but about social distancing, about closing up all these businesses. And basically they, you know, we suspended the constitution. We suspended the sort of Uh, typical pattern of American life in order to listen to these guys. And so all of a sudden, the sort of liberal dream came true, and science was back on top. Expertise was back on top. And now, here's the thing. The aspect of the Wuhan lab leak that nobody is considering is, if this turns out to be true, uh, scientists are not the heroes of this round. They might well turn out to be the villains. That's what's freaky about this. I mean, when it all started, because I'm a crazy person, I was listening to uh, <laughs> Steve Bannon's podcast. And Steve Bannon's podcast is preposterously named uh, Steve Bannon's War Room. But every episode, yeah. they were talking about gain-of-function research. They were talking about how the spikes in the proteins in the, in the virus didn't look normal. And they had experts who everybody then dismissed as joke experts coming on, and they talked to them about it. And... It's obviously Wait, Steve done. Steve Bannon was talking. About, I did not know that Steve Bannon was yes, talking about ab- gain of function research. Absolutely. I mean, back in February. By the way, that that is something real, as I have learned in the last couple of weeks. That yeah. is that is that, uh, you know. Do you know I live about two blocks from the National Institutes of Health, NIH. It's right down the street from me. It's right here in Bethesda, Maryland. Oh yeah. Yes, I'm here to tell you gain of function research. Well, that doesn't establish any expertise at all that I live in the proximity of the building. I mean, I suppose the interesting line on gain-of-function research is that the Americans stopped doing it, right, because it was too dangerous, so they possibly outsourced it. It's it's highly controversial. This is what most people don't know, but it's in the literature. 
a gain of function research is when you take a, a virus from animals or from humans or whatever from the past and you make it more virulent. You fiddle with it in all sorts of ways and you make it more deadly and you make it more transmissible. This has been going on for quite a while. It's not the same thing as like the bio-warfare stuff that they were doing in the 1950s and 1960s. This is different, but it is very dangerous. And the reason it's dangerous is because if there's ever a lab leak, I mean, these are guys sitting around with... um, I don't know, name your, name your disease, you know, anthrax or a deadly version of the flu from World War I or something like that, and figuring out ways to make it more transmissible. Now, this sounds so nutty that every time I describe it to someone, I have to say, this is considered legitimate. <laughs> the, the sort of virology community thinks that this is legitimate research. That's their consensus, that this is okay to be doing this. And the reason it's okay to be doing this is because you're trying to stay ahead of the next disease. You see what I'm getting at? Yes. Uh, unfortunately... <laughs> There's a real big built-in hazard to this, which is if somebody drops a vial of this stuff or if they infect a mouse and the mouse gets out of its cage. And, you know, there's, there's a million ways lab leaks happen all the time. So, Freddie, I went to the University of Chicago way back when. You know, I was li- reading in a list of lab leaks. Some guy at the University of Chicago, my alma mater, was fiddling with bubonic plague and it, <laughs> and it got out and it killed him. <laughs> Yeah, this is like, this is no joke. Lab leaks happen and people die from them all the time. In fact, they happen so frequently, you can predict it, you know, mathematically when, when they're, you know, that they're going to happen. So you've got really deadly research and you've got the certainty that there will be lab leaks. And we don't know for sure what happened at Wuhan, but there is circumstantial evidence, well, documentary evidence that, that they were probably doing gain of function research. And it happened. The lab leak happened. I mean, I think, so I was talking about Steve Bannon, and people like him were dismissed as crazies early on, and, and Tucker Carlson did a little bit on it quite early on, I think later April, May. And that was always dismissed as, as crazy talk, crazy right-wing populist talk. But the the strange thing was, because the government... Don't, don't, make, me, don't make me mad, Freddie. The government... Stay away from the P word. I'm going to use the P, I'm <laughs> dropping it in. Just, yeah. <laughs> The American government was seen as crazy and populist. So therefore, Mike yes. Pompeo, who took this very seriously, he's quite a hawkish Secretary of State, took this... Yeah. You uh, know, he's from Wichita, Kansas. Oh, yes. Yeah, he really pisses me off. But that's a different, That's a story for a different occasion. But I think we have to give him some credit here because he did take this very seriously and he ordered an investigation, a State Department investigation, into what was going on in the lab, what, whether there are any links between the Chinese bioweapons military program, things like that. And in January, just before he this year, before he left office, he published a statement. Uh, the State Department published their, the, the best of their intelligence findings on this, which said all the stuff that has just come out again now. But everybody ignored it because they thought that's just Trumpy yeah. populism. That's not real science. Yeah. So can I tell you what? What do I mean? Uh, and I myself was one of those people that dismissed it. And why did I do that? Because I would open up the Washington Post and they reassured me countless times all this stuff was nonsense. And, you know, Freddie, I'm an extremely cynical person. I just wrote a book trashing, (laughs) you know, political science and, and mainstream media and all that stuff. But even so, I'm 55 years old. I'm set in my ways and I, I believe what the newspapers tell me. And when the newspapers tell me that they even did these fact check things, you know what I'm talking about? I where they're exactly like, we know the facts about. and this guy has got the facts wrong. They even did that and said that it was a, they called it pants on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Not the Washington Post, it's a different organization. You wrote 
the best piece trashing the Washington Post I've ever read for Harper's about the Bernie Sanders campaign. But yet you you still treat it as a source of authority on some things. Look, I'm I'm this new era that we're living in is going to take some getting used to. You know me, I'm extremely critical of the press. I am. But at the same time, I mean, where else am I? How else am I supposed to know what's happening in the world around me? I have no. There is no other Listen way. Listen to Steve Bannon's. You know, I'm not going to go to go to China myself and and just start asking people. You know, there is no other way. And I like to think that I'm a canny reader and I can read between the lines. Do you remember I F? You don't. I F Stone. He was a left wing kind of uh, provocator from 50 years ago he loved to trash the washington post and he he said he, he once said that the great thing about the washington post is you've got all of these uh wonderful page one stories the thing is that they're never oh god i'm blowing the joke he had this hilarious way of putting it, but he said you never know which page they're going to be on you know <laughs> you'll find a page one story buried in the you know deep in the guts of the paper <laughs> you know and 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 i always like to think that i'm a critical reader and i could see through that well i am a, a you know a little ashamed to admit that I didn't see through it in this case. It also, look, the fact that Trump and Pompeo and Bannon were so keen on this uh, really made me suspicious of it, you know? One of the ways that I, that, that you, that I do media criticism, the way that everybody does media criticism, is, this, is you say, take, for example, the Bernie Sanders story. These people are all saying the same thing. Why are they doing that? Do they have an ulterior motive? And that's the case with, the, like, for example, the biggest, one of the biggest media failures of our time. By the way, if this lab leak thing turns out to be true, that easily takes the cake for the biggest media failure of our time. But the reigning champion, which is Russiagate, you know, and which is obvious. I mean, the, the, the motive for that is so obvious. It's to get Hillary Clinton and the Democrats off the hook for losing the easiest election of all time. You know, 2016, when they're running against the most unpopular presidential candidate ever nominated by an, a major American party, they succeed in losing to this guy. You know, how the hell do you do that? And so they make up this whole thing theory about the Russians came and the Russians did these terrible things and and uh, and they cheated and etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's so easy to see the motive there and with Trump talking about the lab leak and Pompeo it's also easy to spot their motive which is that they want to get tough with China they want to wreck China's image and so it was easy for me to dismiss that and there's one other thing they often claimed that this was deliberately leaked and that it was some kind of bio warfare thing and look that's just like no one would do that freddie that's that is ridiculous now what i'm talking about people doing a a variety of research that is considered legitimate gain of function research and having a lab leak those are things that happen all the time this is a very very eminently plausible scenario there is a difference <laughs> I, mean, I, I have not become a trump supporter <laughs> although st i should say steve bannon is intriguing to me in a way that uh, not like that i find him appealing but that he is interesting to me in a way that other right wingers are not yeah uh, he says things that are that are counterintuitive that you that, that you don't hear from a lot of other right wingers but we're not going to go there now that's a that's a subject for a different occasion let's not he but he's got democrat blood which i suspect you yes but he never follows through but do you remember he did de his denunciation of wall street yes for the 08 financial crisis that was fascinating you never hear a republican saying stuff like that or in this country you never used to i mean now, i guess now it's everything is changing but well let's not go down that road but let's let's talk a little bit i'm interested in when conspiracy theories are socially acceptable among 
for want of a better word, the ruling class. And when they are considered trash opinions that belong to the sort of untermensch. Because, as you say, <laughs> Russiagate was completely bogus. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, about 90%. 90% bogus. Sorry, the, sorry. The yeah, Russians did buy ads on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they, they, they proved that. And they're, some of them are really hilarious. If you're a critic of, of advertising, you got to go and look at these. They, are, they will make you chuckle. Anyhow, but keep going. But so Russia gets completely bogus. Uh, there are QAnon conspiracy theories that are obviously also yeah, insane. Yeah, yeah. Oh, those are hilarious. Those yeah. are hilarious. But, you know, the lab leak theory gets shoved in the crazy pile and then has recently transferred, and it seems to be because there was this uh, letter from a group of scientists, and that suddenly sort of moves it well, into... Can I, can I tell you what opened my eyes was this essay in Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, which is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this publication, it is not a conservative publication. <laughs> this is an ex- a very radical uh, publication, and also one with a certain amount of scientific credibility. You know, they've for a long time tried to keep an eye on the nuclear arms race. This is when I was... When I was younger, this is what they were known for, and they've lately branched out into sort of biowarfare and lab leak stuff, you know, the dangers of certain kinds of experiments. And they ran a, oh, how many words is that story? 6,000, 7,000-word essay by a former New York—by the way, this is interesting, too— former New York Times science reporter called Nicholas Wade. Everybody who is listening now should read it. It is up on their website. But the fact that this wasn't in the New York Times, and in fact, this guy, Nicholas Wade, first published it on Medium, you know, one of these free websites, you know, (laughs) that you could just put put stuff up on. And then it got picked up by Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. That is crazy. He did the sort of obvious research that a science reporter would do and that I would have done if I knew anything about science reporting. I don't. That's not my beat. You know, it's not what I do. But he went in and did what's called a Freedom of Information Act request for various documents from the NIH about Wuhan. And he got the documents, you know, which you can do in this country. I don't know if if the UK has a similar arrangement, but you can request otherwise secret documents from the government. Yes. And and they basically have to turn them over to you. Now, it takes them a long time. They drag their feet. It's a long and difficult process. But he finally got the documents. And they seem to show not only that the Wuhan lab was doing gain-of-function research with bat coronaviruses, but that and this is the part that blew my mind. It was funded by us. Yeah. <laughs> the United States. Yeah. Uh, in part. Now, that's obviously extremely controversial, but that would explain why someone like Pompeo knew about it, <laughs> because he was funding it, you know? It might have been Fauci. We don't really know. And and look, there is no way to get to the bottom of this short of a massive investigation. Now, here's the part of my article where I thought it really gets interesting is when you start seeing these uh, resonances between this screw-up and the financial crisis, the last big international disaster. And there are all sorts of ways in which, obviously, these are completely different fields, high finance and um, you know virology, but they both are in the field of uh, white-collar expertise. And so you see, do you remember my uh, my whole theory about these guys? This is my last book, Listen Liberal. I don't, even, I don't know if you even read that one. I did. I've read all of them, I think. <laughs> 
I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just giving you a hard time. So that was the book that was about this kind of reverence for expertise and reverence for the uh, the highly educated. And one of the things that I pointed out in there was that there are certain pathologies of the professional elite that come up again and again and again. And if you don't account for those and you just instead insist that everybody has to worship these guys, I mean, you're going to make all kinds of blunders. You have to hold these people accountable. One of the problems is that our system for holding them accountable have completely broken down. So the professions are supposed to be activated by higher motives. Right. They're supposed to be interested in the public. Well, obviously, that's not the case with Wall Street. (laughs) So you have these other professions that are supposed to watch them, hold them accountable. For example, accounting. You you think of the Enron case where accounting was such a big part of it or with the mortgage bubble. The professionals and the accountability sort of factor failed again and again and again. Professionals like to make decisions by consensus. They liked everybody agrees on the same thing. They're, John Maynard Keynes had a famous line about bankers. Oh, I'm, God, I'm going bu- to blow this one too, where he said, the problem with uh, bankers is not that you'll get a bad, you know, a bad banker here and there that's determined to rip everyone off. It's that the entire banking community does the same thing, and that thing is stupid. They've <laughs> yeah. all agreed to do the same thing, and it's the wrong thing. And that's how professions work. They, they do things by consensus. There's this kind of groupthink that is built into the model. And unless you find ways, unless you have ways of constantly checking or shattering that groupthink, this kind of thing is going to happen. You're going to get the Washington, the New York Times, and everybody else agreeing on all, this whole range of things, uh, about like 5% of which, or maybe 50% of which are wrong, <laughs> and you're never going to know what's going on in the world. This is the problem with the professions and with the professional class and with expertise, or what we call in America, science. Yes. This is why you need troublemakers. This is why you need original thinkers. And uh, dare I say it, this is why you need populism. Yes. And anyhow, so it's the same goddamn thing happening again. Uh, The accountability mechanisms have broken down. The professionals are all in agreement, of course, 100% airtight consensus. Of course, they aren't, as we're now discovering. There are a lot of scientists out there that disagree with this. It's just they were either actively silenced. This is one of the details that blows my mind. Facebook was censoring these guys. Can (laughs) you believe that? You know, it's like it's like every little element of the liberal consensus here got on board this ship and then the ship sank. Yes. <laughs> well, that's exactly what happened. And But I think, as you say, it's a double whammy. It's even a triple whammy if you go back to the Iraq war. And so you have these three major events. Yeah. They're, by the way, another great example. And there the secretary of state really succeeded in shaming himself. Yes. Uh, anyhow. But yeah, but what, if, continue at, your thought. At the end... And the, and the media, of course, going along with it, right? Do you remember that? They all believed in, uh, that we were going to find that, that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. And the, and the public in America was basically conned into believing that Saddam Hussein masterminded 9-11. Very similarly to the way you had scientists or doctors presented very frequently parroting the same lines on television. You had generals dressed up in, for the cameras the pathologies that I just described are, are especially well known with the, the military professionals, you know, the group think, et cetera, because obviously it's a, a hierarchy of command. It's not just a bunch of guys arguing about something, you know. But you say in your piece that, that you, you know, you hope that you're wrong and that. Oh, it's, this is, wait, this is so scary, Freddie. Yes, it is scary. But also it could be good for populism, which I think you think is a, 
I know the word populism, let's not get into that. But Well, my kind of populism is dead in this country, and, and I don't know how it's ever going to come back. What I mean by that is a sort of social demo- democratic populism, what you in Europe would call that. The real deal, you know, this kind of working class radicalism. Yes, but also a sense that the, the, the ruling class are very often wrong, and we shouldn't take them seriously just because they're the ruling class. Yes, there you go. Now, that's the takeaway. Exactly. (laughs) But it is this stuff is scary once you start thinking about it. If this really happened, like I am describing, this is a doomsday scenario, and we're lucky we got off lightly. And by lightly, I mean three million people dead, the economy of the world completely disrupted, untold bankruptcy, evictions. I mean, you know the costs. Yeah. The costs of this dwarf anything since World War II. And if what I'm describing is true, this could happen again. And that's why we have to start writing about this. We have to start thinking about this, because if that is true, God damn it, we have to have accountability and we can't be shoved aside by people saying, oh, the scientific community. No, there has to be outside eyes on this. There has to be critical voices on this. This cannot happen again. I grew up during the Cold War, Freddie. When I was a kid, I used to watch movies like Dr. Strangelove or Failsafe, and they terrified me, terrifying, that we could have accidental nuclear war. And we never did. You know, the safeguards held. But I I don't know if you read this stuff. We came real close to it a number of times when there would be some false alarm would go out over that. And thank God, you know, it, it never happened. Well, this just happened. This is terrifying if it turns out to be true. I don't know if you've read Michael Lewis's book, The Fifth Risk. He's got a new one. I haven't, I haven't, the I, pandem- not up to speed on that yet. Well, that, I mean, that's this idea that there's, there's always this unseen risk in government and there's this huge federal government structure that has various provisions in place to stop things happening, terrible, terrible things happening. And if there aren't enough people paying attention, terrible things do happen. Right, no, that's a different pathology. That's a sort of Republican pathology, which I wrote about years ago. It was called The Wrecking Crew, this book I wrote about that. When you just, this is, I'm talking about the Reagan administration and the Bush administration here. Yes. Trump did a lot of the same thing. But when you take these federal departments and just trash them, you know, and fire all the talented people, and which they both did. This is all well known. This yes. This is easy to establish. There's certain <laughs> terrible things happen. <laughs> But those are terrible things that, that the that the administration wants to happen. Yes. This is something else, you know. I suppose what I'm getting at is on, on the right, there is this wrecking crew tendency to sort of tr- to trash authority and certainly liberal authority. But, they, but the, we know why they did that, though, Freddie. They did that so that a different authority could have its way. Yes. So they trashed oversight of Wall Street, for example. I mean, the most famous, most consequential example. They trashed all the different regulatory agencies, actively deregulated Wall Street. And this is, by the way, Clinton did a lot of this, too. A Democrat did a lot of this, too. They did all that stuff in order so that Wall Street could enjoy a fantastic boom. And it, and it happened. Yes. You know, Wall Street did, <laughs> did get to enjoy that, that wonderful boom. And then Wall Street wound up, you know, trashing the economy of the world. These things have have consequences. What I'm talking about here is there's going to be a, some of that mixed in, but the biggest one is the is the professional class groupthink, lack of accountability, et cetera, that I'm talking about. I mean, well, look, we don't really know. We haven't got to the bottom of it. We may never get to, and that's what we should probably end on. We probably never will get to the bottom of this. Yes. China has shown no interest in letting outside observers go digging through the files. The whist- various whistleblowers who have emerged from inside China have been were very quickly silenced. 
Do you think the problem is more profound and more spiritual in that nobody cares about what's true, right? Particularly in journalism, it's about narratives, it's about tribal bickering, and nobody really, for a very long time, is interested in getting to the bottom of any story. And as you say, we may not get at the bottom of this story, but we may be living in a time, uh, one of the popes called it the tyranny of relativism, where nobody is interested in pursuing the actual truth because the truth doesn't matter. It's whatever you want to believe. Ouch. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I... I don't have an answer for that. Like you, I have experienced the last few years with with growing astonishment. You know, I watch a guy like Trump who just will say anything. I watch the media react in their own way. You know, Fox News, I remember when that got going, and that was sort of the, the first, or one of the first, that, that was a major innovation in what you're describing, where they, they were like, you know, politics is actually really good entertainment. <laughs> We can adopt this kind of party line like, you know, the Communist Party of old and stick with it through thick and thin. And, and people like that. <laughs> <laughs> people, people see that as fun entertainment. And I've seen the Fox News effect happen to uh, people that I know. They tend to be older uh, white men. And it kind of takes over their brain. But then MSNBC and various others are like, hey, we can do this same thing, <laughs> you know, on liberals. And I've seen that happen as well. And it's funny because, Freddie, all my life I've been dogged by this. You know, people think my politics are too extreme. I'm this radical left winger you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'll be damned. <laughs> I'm like, I've become a centrist somehow. I don't know how. My views haven't shifted at all, but I'm like watching what's going on with, with my, you know, former, you know, liberals, people that, that, that were my friends, and they become these doctrinaire party line zealots about things that aren't true. <laughs> and I just don't know what to say anymore. It's all around us. Well, I know what to say. If this thing turns out to be true... All that has to go away. We have to, when, uh, you know, when the financial crisis happened, we had to get tough with Wall Street and we had to re-regulate those guys and we had to have an inquiry. We had to get to the bottom of it. Well, that is, that is the answer today. We have to get to the bottom of this. What's really interesting to me is there's a number of, of columnists and sort of members of the commentariat out there. By the way, I am not one. Uh, I am not part of the pundit corps in America, just so you know. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second, why I throw that out there. Uh, they're already saying this doesn't make any difference. Who cares whether it was a lab leak or not? Because uh, the, the disease is upon us. We, uh, the important thing is stopping it, et cetera. True. But you have to have accountability. The idea of dismissing accountability after the biggest catastrophe in, in 60 years and just saying, yeah, it doesn't really matter – that is mind-blowing to someone who once uh, aspired to be a member of the professional class. <laughs> you know, that, that we could just blow it off and say, no, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to get to the bottom of it because we, I'm not sure we'd like what we find. It might ruin our appreciation of our heroes. It, it might make Donald Trump seem right again. You know, I, I'm sorry. That's, that can have no place in this kind of inquiry. The funny thing is, Freddie, at the end of the day, I am dedicated to accountability and to the truth and to finding things out and to getting to the bottom of things. I mean, that's what my whole populism book was about. You've got this whole 
academic discipline now, this whole pedagogy that's based on a mistake. You know, <laughs> I talk about this all the time. You and I have talked about this. Yes. And these people, they rule political science now. The whole thing's based on a mistake. <laughs> what do you say about that? I mean, do you just say, well, let it, let it go because it, it, it makes Trump look bad? It, you know, they call the right wing, they call them names. No, I mean, you've got, if you value the things that are true, if you value learning, no, you have to say these things and you have to demand accountability. God, I'm sorry. I get so frustrated. talking about it. The reason I said that, by the way. Yes, do say that. I knew when The Guardian had put the story up on their website because I started getting emails from crazy people. You know, <laughs> you know, this always happens when you run a story. They find out your personal email address and they start, you know, they start coming <laughs> at you. And they all assumed that I was some kind of what's the term that I like to use that I'm some, that I'm a member of the pundit bureau. Yeah. You know, that's my, that's my term for these guys in America, because again, it's the group think thing. They, yeah. they all think alike. They all have the same opinions, you know, the Washington post the New York times, et cetera, you know, all these different uh, prestigious online magazines. It doesn't matter. They all say the same goddamn thing. They're the pundit bureau. And everybody assumed that I'm part of that. And I'm confessing, you know, my, my <laughs> the error of my ways. I'm not. I've been, I am in exile from the Pundit Bureau. It's your fault for being honest because you put in the piece, I didn't believe it, right? So I imagine people well, are like, ah, oh, he's admitting. It's true, though. It's <laughs> true. I'm just, I'm leveling with the readers. You know, it, it, if you can't be honest about this stuff, then don't be writing for the newspapers. I said that because it is true. <laughs> and I did have a, a moment where I read this article and, and a light went on in my brain and I started reading other articles and I couldn't believe it. You know, and it shifted my point of view. And I wouldn't be honest if I didn't admit that. Well, uh, Tom, you are, I, with, at the risk of flattering you, you are one of the most honest and best writers in America. So um, keep being frank. <laughs> Shit, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review.